Welcome back to Spinal Tap Minute. Today we're on episode 39 of the podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and none more black eyes the movie This is Spinal Tap, one magnificent minute at a time. I'm Heidi Bennett of HeidiBennett.com. And I'm Sean German of Five Minutes of Mime.com. And joining us once again, our special guest from the world of film, music, and elsewhere, it's Alice Rayback. Hi there. Thanks for having me back. Yeah. Thanks for coming back. Mm-hmm. So this is exciting. I don't know if you remember, but we finished off yesterday at the end of minute 38. The band was on stage performing while Derek was trapped inside a pod. <laughs> then minute 39 ends with uh, Derek emerging triumphantly from his pod. And what we see in the middle during this minute is the band continues to perform while Moke does his magic or tries to work some magic to uh, to free our imprisoned bassist. <laughs> so there's actually a lot going on this minute. There's There's some good rock and roll, and then there's just feverish action off to the side trying to liberate Derek. Yeah. And I actually just paused it where Viv Savage is singing and right into the mic. And he's like really emoting a lot and really feverishly playing his keyboards and stuff, too. So there's music, exciting rock and roll creation is happening. (laughs) And uh, yeah, and Moak is working his Moak mojo. Yeah. I actually had a question since you, you mentioned Viv. And I'm I'm guessing the point you're talking about where we see Viv singing is like the second half of this minute. Yes. And well, one thing that we didn't really get a good look at, at Viv last minute, but we see he's in a white jumpsuit. So mm-hmm. just confirming he's 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 dressed differently in style, but he's within the color palette of the song. It's right. red, black and white. So he's he's on the same page with everyone there. But he's got. Something around his neck. Yeah, it's like a little scarf, like a a green scarf. Yeah, but earlier they flashed to him and he doesn't have it. Maybe I don't see it because it's so thin. Hmm. I'm trying to pinpoint the exact. Oh, no. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Is it there? Yeah, it is there. I was thinking like around second 23. Maybe. Yeah, there's one angle where it doesn't look like it's there, but it is there. So, yeah. Okay. But uh, yeah, it's this very, it's just like a tassel. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of long like a scarf and he's got it wrapped around his neck, but it doesn't look like it's really going to keep him very warm. <laughs> well, that's one of the things I was thinking about in this minute, and we touched on it a little bit yesterday, was that this era from the mid-late 70s and then careening into the 80s of, of you know, arena rock and metal, that for as masculine as the sound is and the bravado of it and and the largesse of it that as far as the stage antics and the costuming and the makeup and the hair there's a lot of like sexual fluidity and gender Mm -hmm. fluidity even though the sound is like so relentlessly masculine and you know even heavy metal itself comes from the literally the the factories of you know England that's that's where the name comes from so the fact it, it's always this irony and you you see it in every 
even like a band like Rush where they have the long hair or they have, you know, flowy sleeves and bell bottoms. And then in the 80s, you get more into the teased hair or tighter pants or full on facial makeup. There's this contrast of this real sexual fluidity and gender fluidity in the dudes on stage. It's very interesting. Yeah, it's especially such a masculine when you, sound. Yeah, mm-hmm. when you get into well, there we even call it hair metal with 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 those po- you know those bands like Rat and Poison and 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 so on. That the music is very masculine, but the look in terms of social norms, like you said, is very fluid. Totally. I mean, and they're always flanked by like you know, and and obviously in in this movie as well, you know, scads of women. But it it's just it's kind of funny. And as you see, like that scarf that you mentioned is very like that's very Euro to have that thin sort of ornamental scarf. And yeah, you know, that's it, that's that thing. And and you know, like we said the the previous minute, you've got the kimono and you've got the tight pants and the this and the that. It's it's all very like I don't know. It's, it's it's amusing to me. Yeah, and I think Viv even has like a bit of a Slade look here too. He's got like long, I don't know if he's wearing any mascara, but like he's got very long lashes and kind of mm-hmm. bouncy, big hair. I think David's wearing some powder, something white, you know, some white cover oh, yeah, up absolutely. or something. Yeah. yeah, and I remember, I don't know, Alice, what... At this era, do you remember what you felt like? Like, were there certain artists you kind of crushed out on or thought like, hmm, this guy wears blush, but I'm strangely attracted to him? Or, you know, what? what's your take on how you how you responded to this gender fluidity? Yeah, I think I was more I was more inclined towards the 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 70s vibe a little bit more less the the hair metal bands but i i definitely have friends that were totally smitten with like a a motley crew type of a thing you know i was more you know maybe a little bit more rolling stones inclined but mm-hmm. there it was a i think it's the edginess and the rebelliousness and sort of the breaking of the convention that's that's appealing for sure yeah and i remember also like a little bit later on with boy George, you know, mm-hmm. like I, I remember really liking the sound of culture club, but also like going, Hmm, what's this all about? You know, this is a different, you know, I mean, he really played around with makeup and stuff like that to the nth degree, but I do remember being young and in high school and being intrigued and excited by everybody from Prince to, Boy George to all these guys. Yeah, and all their different just ways of being um presenting who they who they are through clothing and makeup and hair and all that stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, and probably David Bowie being the mm-hmm. ultimate example of that. And and being such a wildly attractive character at every stage of his career. Yeah. Oh, for yeah. sure. You know, Absolutely. like no no one no one did it better than Bowie. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> you know, so Yeah, we actually um we've talked about it quite a bit and had them on as guests, but there's another movies by minutes podcast about called the whole shebang podcast that's about Velvet Goldmine and they really oh. they really delve into that quite a bit and it's super enjoyable to hear them talk about 
costumes and sexuality and um, the music and everything, you know, all of that stuff from that era. Together, so, yeah. It's a great, great podcast. It is. That's cool. It's a good movie. Yeah. Yeah. Did we talk about the lyrics yesterday? I don't recall. Of, um, uh, of rock and roll creation. I don't think we talked about any specific words in the lyrics. I mean, you, no, I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I just, and kind of just building off of, I'm reminded of it, Alice, you were talking about the the contrast and a little bit of dichotomy between the masculine music and, and some of the more feminine looks that, that bands were taking on. And, and we see that in the lyrics and we don't get, I think all these songs are attributed to kind of en masse to, to the group, to um, just kind of to the band. But I, in my mind, in my head canon, they're particularly David lyrics. And, and what he does is to kind of seem philosophical, he just throws opposites together and kind of just makes paradoxes. Um, and I think it's his his way of of being philosophical and, and seeming deep. Um, and particularly in this song, there's the line where he's got the hush was deafening um, is an example of that. <laughs> of just something that like, if you don't think about it too much, you could be like, oh, wow, that's really deep. And then if you think about it too much, you'll be like, well, no, like, that doesn't, that make, doesn't sense. make sense. Come on, man. Because yeah, <laughs> there's other examples of that in um, there's rainy day sun which is an early song, which actually was the B-side to uh, listen to the flower people. In uh, in Break Like the Wind, there's lines like, uh, dust of a future past and children who grew too fast. <laughs> so, you know, I just... And I, I always... Whenever I hear a line like that, I'm just thinking it's it's kind of, you know, David, maybe he's trying to impress Janine about, you know, oh, he's so, you know, he's so deep and thoughtful that he's, you know, juggling these these contradictions. But I think that's so they, – they look like they're the, – the facial expressions and all those close-up shots, they look so intense and s- mm-hmm. taking it so seriously. And um, it's it, it, I, they, it would appear that it, it's incredibly meaningful to them by, by how it looks like how they're singing it anyway. Oh, yes. Absolutely. They, yeah, they really mean it. They uh, also – you know, you can tell there's real songwriting ability behind – these lyrics by what words they use too, because there's certain music, there's certain songs that I've sung in the past where I've thought, oh my gosh, I, I, I'm really trying to sing this song, but this word here is very difficult to sing in this key or, you know, mm. the different challenges with words, but just looking at the lyrics in front of me, clear fear creation, you know, it's mm-hmm. really fun to sing rebirth, yeah. you know, rocking <laughs> of the earth. And, yeah. you know, and he does that. And I looked and I saw that it was good, you know, like they're really easy <laughs> and like a pleasure to have those words rolling around in your mouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And particularly that, yeah, that line that uh, tis the rolling of the ocean and the rocking of the earth. Yeah. That's, you know, it kind of sounded like before I was kind of knocking David and his faux philosophical bent. That's a great line. You know, <laughs> yeah. just the imagery it, it brings up and he's working rock and roll into the lyric. I just, <laughs> yes. That's really clever. And that's a great line. And, and it's fun to say, you know, it's fun to sing and, and rock out to. So, yeah, they do good work. I think they are good smiths of, of a rock and roll song. These guys can certainly write a song. 
Well, and you also figure that that in any rock and roll audience, there's going to be a combination of A, the people that actually listened to the album, bought the album, studied the lyrics back and forth, and, you know, internalized all the meaning. And then there's the other people that just kind of like how it sounds and like how it feels and don't really know what they're saying. They just sort of know that they like it. Mm-hmm. So you probably have both in that in that audience or any audience for that yeah. matter. Um, so you have to have both elements, I would think, there. Yeah, good point. Very good um, point. To make it Absolutely. successful. Did you guys feel like, uh, I thought to, to your point about that, that at the end there, again, we talked in the other minute about that sort of wah-wah irony in all the Christopher Guest movies, and I feel like it ends so perfectly that the, the you know, the two get closed in and the one finally comes <laughs> out and it's the perfect silly and but like that's life kid kind of a moment that again is the total tone of the movie yeah yeah absolutely and it's yeah and it's rhythmic in in its presentation to us you know that they like back into it and eggs close up seamlessly and then ta-da here's the bassist (laughs) hey guys i'm here how's everybody doing (laughs) Yeah, very well, well done. Yeah. Yeah, and then we were also talking yesterday a little bit about your background, and we uh, we didn't get to talking too much about, specifically about documentaries, maybe ones that you um, like, or some, you know, certain styles of documentaries that uh, you find interesting. I'd love to hear your take on that subject. Yeah, I mean, I think the 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 biggest piece that's often overlooked when um, people talk about documentaries is they tell a story just like a narrative movie. So a documentary has to have a subject, and ultimately it has to have a beginning, a middle, and an end, and some kind of through line to attach the story to. Whether it's a rock and roll documentary, whether it's, um, you know, even a concert footage, it's getting on the stage and it's doing the show and then it's wrapping it up. You know, there's some there's some sort of ribbon around it that ties it all together. And so a documentary is never really just throwing a a camera up and and recording something. There's always a point of view and always, you know, someone behind it um, sort of directing your your gaze so it's in, it's it's interesting. I love the the 2010 um, Lemmy documentary. I think it's a great a great insight into a great you know rock and metal icon and his life um, mm-hmm. on stage and off stage. And I think they do a great job of presenting who he is, who he was, without over sentimentalizing it. Or you know, it was just really just showing him as a man and as a dad and a musician, and a, and a piece of his world. I just, I thought it was so well done. So well done. Great. I know my husband saw it and really liked it. And yeah. It's, it's yeah. on my list, but I haven't it's great. seen that one. It's great. Yeah. So that's a, that's a good one for sure. Yeah. Now, I had a question just relating to, to documentaries and uh, something they do or something Marty does with Spinal Tap and the opening of the movie, that cold open where the first two minutes is just the director giving an introduction. And I couldn't think of any other documentary that opens up that way with the director on screen giving that kind of introduction. What, what did you think of that Of that as a way to, to kind of kick off the film? I think, you know, it's hard to separate 
your comment from the fact that the director is Rob Reiner. Because <laughs> I can't, or me personally, because I'm like, oh my God, it's Rob Reiner. I love him. Oh my God, that's so cool. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so the fact that the director is who he is, is huge. If it was someone unknown directing it, I think it would have a whole different vibe. But the fact that it is Rob Reiner in the cap and the thing and the beard and it, it sets a whole different tone. Um, and everyone loves Rob Reiner and you put your, yeah. your faith and trust in Rob Reiner. And you're like, if Rob Reiner's doing it, it's going to be a great ride. Um, so I think that's a huge piece of it that the director is who he is. You don't really see a director like that. I mean, uh, so many document, you know, will, um, you know, use the voiceover as a, as a, um, part of the narrative and especially if it's something personal that the the director is uh shooting but yeah i think that in this instance the fact that it is rob reiner is everything yeah and i think um uh, yeah that's a good point and i I was just that that reminded me of some other movies that i'm not going to dwell on the ones where i think oh the director kind of inserted himself a bit too much. But uh, one interesting one that that just reminded me of, not a music documentary, but the the Wild Parrots of Telegraph Hill. Yes. Are you familiar with that? That one has some interesting... Um, that I am not. That one, I really liked that movie. And it's about a kind of an eccentric person who takes on taking care of these wild parrots, um, in San Francisco. So these are birds that, you know, were, you know, domestic pets and were released at one point or another. And there's breeding that went on and such. But it's really more about this particular fella. And then the um, documentarian, um, she ends up being a part of the story through the act of making. No, that happens. You know, sure. In a really interesting sure. way. Absolutely. So. Yeah, I think it's one of those where it's... It's not the, you know, set up a camera and let events play out type of documentary where the filmmaker does get involved and there's an obvious emotional connection. There's an obvious point of view and a bias. But I don't think it, and I'm, I'm, I've seen it. I haven't seen it recently, but I have seen that that documentary. And I don't I think it's one of those cases like Spinal Tap where it doesn't hurt at all that it helps to bring out the subject and to get particularly when it's. When the viewer isn't as familiar with the subject, you know, in this case, if you know Spinal Tap, if you've grown up listening to Spinal Tap, then you don't want to see Marty DeBerge. You want to see the band and and Mm -hmm. see them touring and living and playing and all that other stuff. But if it's something that's not as well known, which is often the case, that's that's why you're doing a documentary, to kind of expose people to something maybe they don't know about, to when the filmmaker's a little bit more involved that if it's done right, when it's done well, it helps the the viewer get invested and, and be interested. Um, well, I think, yeah. Yeah. And I, I, you know, that is, is spot on and, and reminds me, I think I, we talked about that in the nineties, I'd worked on a, a rock documentary about Ramblin' Jack Elliott, who is this um, folk legend that is sort of the link between Arlo Guthrie and Bob Dylan. The film itself was actually uh, shot and directed by his daughter, Ayana. 
who I met through school. And so the story was about uh, turning people on to her dad's music that may not have known about it. And then a lot of it was about her relationship with her dad and growing up with a rock and roll parent. So there were a lot of times where their relationship or herself as a character was on screen and and she was a part of the story and mm-hmm. and it kind of you know as as events kind of took turns the the film itself evolved and um there are certainly people who went to see it because they're familiar with Jack's music and some some who are not but but you can come at it you know to your point as um as a as a compelling story from many different angles whether it's the father daughter relationship um, the role as a musician, the role of, of legend, the role of being attached to, you know, musical legends and the whole, the whole bit. Yeah. So she actually got to a point where she put herself on screen and let herself be interviewed and by her dad, it was pretty cool. Mm, That sounds cool. Yeah. Really cool. Well, I wanted to recommend a couple of movies that I haven't mentioned yet, and they are specifically appealing, I think, because they integrate a lot of the artist and performer's personal life and their own art uh, outside of music into the film. So Mm -hmm. the first one is about Daniel Johnston, the artist Daniel Johnston. Um, It's called The Devil and Daniel Johnston. It came out in 2005. And it is... The way they, I mean, the little blurb here on IMDb, Daniel Johnston, manic, depressive, genius, singer, songwriter, artist, is revealed in this portrait of madness, creativity, and love. So that's kind of a, you know, <laughs> short version of the <laughs> that's story. right there, yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. But what, what's incredibly beautiful and moving about this movie, to me, is that there's a lot of audio tape, videotape photography you hear a lot of him talking you they use his art work that he makes collages and paintings and all sorts of stuff i i have to admit i haven't seen it in a few years but i remember that they use they integrate his um artwork and turn it into um like moving you know collages in the film itself so this the film feels like it's infused with his creative point of view and his way of expressing himself. Wow. So I, I really highly recommend that as like a journey into somebody's kind of way of, of looking in, at the world. And then the other one, similarly, that that has a lot of, of this art integrated in and uh, stories is the Cobain montage of Heck. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That one is, I really liked it because I, 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 after Kurt Cobain died and there were all these different movies that came out that were so sort of exploitative of his, his life and, you know, especially with his relationship with Courtney Love. And mm-hmm. I really was turned off by all of these. And this is an authorized, it is an authorized documentary on um, Kurt Cobain by Brett Morgan, who's one of my favorite documentary filmmakers. And, uh, you know, you can look him up on IMDb, but he's made some of my favorite films of all time. And and uh, he is, I really like that. And it uses, again, a lot of his diaries, a lot of um, video and photography that he and Courtney took around the house and throughout their lives. And um, it really tells a tale from a a collage of his his life so 
I, I recommend both of those. That's great. And the other one, The Devil and Daniel Johnston, it says the director and writer is Jeff Furzig or Furzig. It's F-E-U-E-R-Z-E-I-G. Um, yeah, very personal um, experiences that I enjoyed a lot. That's great. Those are great. I'll check those out for sure. Yeah, those those both sound really interesting. So back to this minute. <laughs> I feel like I got emotional there. I'm just yeah. kind of thinking about both of those and, and, and just uh, it, it's an experience. Like one of my favorite things to do just as, as a creative person is just to sit in a room by myself and watch a documentary, whether it's about musicians or anybody really, but just to yeah. sit there and like kind of absorb yourself in, in, in that person's world. Yeah. So it's I think like I'm just sitting here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh my gosh. Don't even get me started. That's a whole nother <laughs> thing I can list. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah. Anything else in particular you guys wanted to talk about today before we wrap up our episode? I, I did want to talk a little bit more about uh, Moak, the, the roadie okay. and, and his efforts to, uh, to get this pot open. So in the beginning, we we he's he's hammering. We can hear it, and we see him him hammering on the pod. And then uh, later on, we see he's got a a blowtorch going at it. I'm not quite sure what you know. I'm just I don't I don't know much uh, mechanics of of what could be wrong and and what could be fixed with a blowtorch. But <laughs> so true. You know, I but I did want to and oh, well, that seems very dangerous. In that, if that pod catches on fire. And Derek's caught inside. It's it's going to be bad for Derek. Really bad. <laughs> really bad. Yeah, really bad. But Moke is being safe. He is, when you notice, there's a close-up of him, and he is wearing safety goggles. He is. He does have <laughs> eye protection when he's, when he's handling the blowtorch. So um, he is being somewhat safe. And then I was wondering what's going on around second 50 – He's really close. The, the torch is really close to the pot. It almost, it looks to me like he's trying to use the end of the blowtorch like a crowbar. Right. You, I don't see any flame. And he's really up close to, I guess, like the joint or the hinge mm -hmm. in the back. And I, I can't figure out, like, what, what is he trying to do at that point? Eventually, he pulls back and, the, and you see, and the flame comes back on and... He manages to get the pot open, but there's about five seconds in there where I'm like, what the, what the heck are you doing? I can't figure it out. I mean, eventually he does get it figured out, but I wonder if he could have possibly yeah, could have done this sooner. Yeah. It does look like he's kind of using it as a crowbar. Yeah. That's kind of what I thought too. Yeah. That he was prying it. It's just sort of that roadie ethos that it's like you, you are, you are the, the assistant, the the butler, the liege, you're you're the loyal person that by any means necessary you're gonna get it done and and you see the sweat on his brow and his efforts and you just it's so like uh charming and you're rooting for him. You're rooting for him as much as you're rooting for the band on stage, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, it's a great uh, parallel uh, action. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so then that's all I had for uh, for this. And ultimately, at the end of our minute here, when we finally break through the egg, it does appear that perhaps this heating up of the the pod did seem to maybe help because it it yeah. does release. It does open. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> finally. <laughs> yeah, we can breathe now. 
Right. <sighs> safe. Yeah. Derek is safe. <laughs> I don't know Are if I would have lasted another minute without a without a resolution on that. <laughs> no, probably it probably would have been a minute too much. Well, That's and and enough. we see now that he's out without the the clouding of this chrysalis. There's no there's no chest hair. What his body is covered. Derek. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I already closed the window. I was oh, like, already... what do you mean there's no chest hair? <laughs> yeah, I feel like maybe, I, maybe we should apologize to, to Alice. Usually when you come for a Spinal Tap performance, Derek's usually wearing some kind of uh, bondage-looking gear with lots of chest hair showing. But in this case, he's he's... He's pretty demure. He's all covered up. Not in, not for this not for this setup. It yeah. just I guess it wasn't part of the thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's great. Oh my gosh. Well, it's absolutely been a pleasure to have you join us today, Alice, and oh yesterday gosh. as well. So fun. So yeah, fun. Thank you guys great. so much. Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you everyone for joining us. I hope you enjoyed episode 39 of Spinal Tap Minute. And um, yeah, we're we're just having a great time over here. It's so much fun. I'm just loving (laughs) delving into this movie one minute at a time and always discovering something new chest hair or no (laughs) so yeah you can find us at um you know spinaltapminute.com and hopefully by now you've subscribed and go ahead and uh you know share our our link spinaltapminute.com with friends if you think they you know enjoy this type of podcast um or if they're big spinal tap fans um the more the merrier i always say <laughs> and yeah and it's it's fun for us to bring in new guests and speak to new ears and so we thank you all for for listening so far joining us on this journey yeah yeah thank you and uh so alice if folks want to hear more about what you're doing is there uh, some place they can find you there's, you you can check out. I have a um, Instagram handle of travel photos at Eastside Print. You can you can check that out All if right. you're bored. <laughs> <laughs> Could do that. And what kind of you said you uh, just about a year ago relocated to the West Coast? I did. And what is it out here that you're really looking to do? What's your like? Um, you know what's your what's your goal of of uh, engaging with the west coast world i think i think i've been doing it it's just a great landscape and great traveling and great culture and the mountains and the ocean that's that pretty much was was the plan so just enjoying the the lifestyle was pretty much the goal so that's that's it and those are those are the photographs so yeah yeah that's awesome yeah Mm -hmm. thanks that's great well welcome Welcome. Um, I mean, you've been here a year, but welcome. You're new to you're new to the West Coast for me because That's I just right. met you. That's right. <laughs> so yeah, all good. All right. Well, th- thanks again for joining us, and uh, thank you to all the folks out in podcast land for listening. And uh, we'll do it all again for minute forty tomorrow. But until next time, and so say all of us. Tap, tap into, into America. America. <laughs>